the office is a product and nothing is a given, right? So think first principles and how do you improve your product? How do you measure how it's doing? What's the purpose of it, the value proposition? I think teams that think like that, the results will show. This episode features a conversation with Rags Gupta from Butler. We talked about how workplace teams can learn faster and still get good feedback. This is a real challenge when the shift to flexible work strategies means things change daily and, well, gosh, they're a little unpredictable. As you'll figure out fast, if you're just measuring a workplace in square footage of office real estate, you're missing an important part of the story. I would love to learn a little bit more about what got you into the space that you are now at Butler and kind of what sorts of things have led up to your career today? In a nutshell, I've been in in tech for a little over 20 years, um, cut my teeth during the dot-com boom and then subsequent bust in the Valley. A lot of scar tissue and, and war stories from those days, but really an amazing experience. And then found my way to the East Coast and and was in you know early days of SaaS and cloud. And then more recently was getting into kind of hardware, software, and really getting interested in those type of, of companies where they're combining kind of knowledge of the physical world with the digital world. And to cut it long, long story short, I got introduced to Butler through one of our VCs and was immediately taken by the approach. And, um, and, and, and the reason is it's 2021 and we still don't really know how humans use and interact in space indoors. We know through GPS how we, how we interact much better in the outdoors, outside the four walls, right? Um, mm-hmm. We know the trips people take and where they are and can pinpoint that. But it continues to be really challenging to do that indoors. And there's a variety of reasons for it, um, infrastructure and cost and privacy and, and, and all these things. But that's really what I, I've been thinking about that problem. And that's what really attracted me to Butler was um, some of their insight and their approach in solving that problem. So when you first joined Butler, what was the equivalent of like the, the cutting edge way of people uh, understanding what was happening indoors? Was there one or? Well, the, the, you know, historically, um, there have been your old school motion sensors um, mm-hmm. These are the ones that might be in a in an office conference room or in a in a security system at home, where if something triggers it, then it, it, it gets triggered, right? And then and then it can trigger an alarm or it can trigger the lights to turn on. But that's it's it's a great technology. It's forty or fifty years old. It's not been mm-hmm. updated. If you look at the motion sensor, which I actually have here in my house. And you compare it to the technology that came out 40, 50 years ago, the cosmetics are slightly different or better. Otherwise, it's the same. I think that's that's part of our our aspiration at Butler is to really be what's next in terms of understanding activity and human presence indoors. Um, now, there's different ways of sensing the world, right? Could be through your eyes. That's cameras today. It could be through your ears, which is, you know, audio sensors, right? To understand movement or people. 
Uh, it can be through radar and other signals like that, LIDAR. So there's, there's a lot of different ways of doing it. And I always say there's never one way that's better than the others, right? They all have their place. But kind of taking a step back, what really attracts me to the space is the opportunity to have something that is really easy and affordable and scalable because a lot of technologies struggle in that regard. And I, I know this just coming from my, my previous life where you had to put up a lot of infrastructure, calibrate it and test it. And it's doable. It just means the ROI bar is that much higher. I guess for the folks that are taking advantage of this sort of technology today, what are some of the problems they're trying to solve? The problems they're trying to solve or the questions they're asking are, you know, they, they have to do with in, in kind of three buckets. Think of it that way, right? So there's the planning bucket and that has to do with, I need to rationalize my footprint, which is often a euphemism for reducing it, <laughs> um, but I need to know, I need to, yeah. I need to figure, okay. but I need to figure out where should I reduce and maybe are there areas where I should increase, um, maybe going more to flexible workspaces for people that they can just come in and out of the, we works and industries in those parts of the world, they don't actually give that data back to their tenants right now. So we spoke to someone recently, they've got about a dozen, um, kind of, you know, flexible co-working arrangements. And she doesn't know how they're being used. That's one bucket. Let me zoom back out, right? It's planning. Another bucket, very similar, is, is repositioning the space. We're seeing a lot of, well, you know, do we need rows and rows of desks if people are going to come in and collaborate more? Well, probably not. And there's, you know, there's some kind of, you know, benchmarks around that that, that we're, we're seeing and hearing about. The second bucket is more on the facility side, right? So can you use data to be smarter about how you operate your facilities, right? The days of just having a schedule for set points for your HVAC or for cleaning, you don't need to do that anymore, actually, and, and have a dumb schedule instead of have it be more dynamic based so on- So when you say schedules, yeah. just to clarify, these would be like uh, facilities folks facilitating- let's say like a cleaning service to come in every Tuesday at like 7 p.m., that sort of scheduling. Correct. Or the cleaning, they come in every day and every day they're cleaning every bathroom and they're cleaning every conference room or, or all that, right? Whereas mm -hmm. that's probably really wasteful. We spoke to someone and they're like, yeah, it's the same schedule right now, the cleaning. Whereas before pre-pandemic, they weren't necessarily wiping down desks all the time. And now that is more of a thing and that's more of a requirement. At the same time, you don't want to have uh, the staff clean every desk. It's wasteful, you know, both cost-wise and environmentally and time-wise to do that if it's not been used. And so can you get smarter about cleaning and in cleaning protocols based on actual usage? And then ditto on energy, building, building efficiency and energy, where a lot of people today are just like the standard, okay, it's 8 a.m., we're going to fire on the the air conditioner for every floor in our building, regardless of how many people are on that floor. And now you're having companies and, and technologies that are being able to you know, do that in a smarter way. Again, I think that's like the second bucket of just like running things more efficiently. And then the third bucket is around kind of the employee or tenant experience, providing both, you know, kind of just confidence and comfort to the people that are actually using the, the space, right? 
that can you know range from providing the the visibility of how densely occupied the office is to when were things last cleaned to just being able to book rooms and 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 just have that flexibility of understanding what's available rather than sort of the static outlook rooms that are recur- always booked and then actually there are ghost meetings and no one shows up in many ways it's super important at this point to have that quick feedback loop so that when you make those changes you're actually able to say hey i know exactly how that went here's what's happening in the office and then rinse and repeat as opposed to waiting yeah. for your next office lease to begin for you to actually be able to act on those. You can't improve what you can't measure or what you mm-hmm. don't measure. That applies here, right? Maybe before it was a combination of understanding how many people are in the building through badges, fair. That's, you know, there's, there's just different data points for, uh, for people out there, right? But a lot of it has been anecdotal from the kind of old school, just having people go through the office and saying, yep, 10 of the, of the 30 rooms booked are being used right now, like as a very old school way of collecting data to surveys. We all know surveys have their place, but what people say is very different than what they do. Our point of view is you want to be more data driven in decision making and being able to back those up to, you know, whatever other functions that you're, you know, that are stakeholders in these decisions. And so there are now ways to collect data and, we think that flexibility you're going to need. You're going to need to be able to you know, move things around and flex and try things out. And a big part of that is you're going to want data to be able to then figure out what's working, what isn't. One thing that I know comes up from time to time is people start talking about sensors is a level of detail that's useful. And then there's a level of detail that can be spooky to mm-hmm. employees. And so- yeah. How do you think the average workplace team should toe that line? Like what would be a sign that they've uh, crossed maybe the into the spooky and uh, big brothery line? Look, you know, from our perspective, we we're very, you know, ardent believers in we don't collect PII ourselves. We're just we're we ourselves are just sensing heat pixels and understand based on that inferring that that's a person right? And that's a person in this room or in this space or what have you. We don't know who that is. And that's something we feel really strongly about. That's really at the core and essence of Butler and and its founding. It it really, like in terms of how data like that is used and surfaced, it really comes down to a lot of the culture and expectations of the company. So let me give you an example, right? We have a real-time visualization of a space. So imagine your office space in a map view, right? Mm -hmm. And you can visualize in real time dots on the map, just like Waze or Google Maps, right? Dots that are moving and and kind of, you know, in the space, right? Kind of like a Doppler radar almost. Yeah, kind of, but like in a real time, like, okay, right now there's 15 people in the office and here's where they are in, Mm -hmm. you know, in the different rooms and, and, you know, and all that. For one customer... You know, they want to show a version of that in their lobby so people can understand kind of how densely, how populated certain areas are or not and make their own decisions, right? Whereas with someone else, they would, they would not want to show that because, you know, as an example, they may have 
you know, they don't want to, you know, there's some rooms that are always being used by the same team and they don't want to necessarily, you know, kind of have that displayed or areas that are like, oh, that's where the product people sit. We're not going to want to show that and censor that because we know kind of, you know, we don't want to kind of have people make that connection, right? The CEOs, a person. Yeah, 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 exactly. That sort of and thing. so, so it really depends on it. Really depends on the culture and expectations of that company. Look, anytime you get to like individuals or teams, I think that's where it gets maybe too much in general, right? In terms of having any sense of of you know just like you know where it gets spooky or you know to you know to to, to use your term, but in aggregate or understanding how space is being used, there's plenty of ways of doing that without being spooky, right? Without actually you know, infringing on any privacy. So I think that a lot of this sensor data, the real killer use case immediately, at least from some of the, the folks that we work with, seems to be expectation management and discovery of mm-hmm. like office ebb and flow for employees. Mm-hmm. And where I think I've seen it get off the rails, at least initially, and where where maybe it has a PR problem, is where it's pretty clear that, hey, we want to monitor this utilization so that we can figure out where to cut mm-hmm. uh, square footage and all of that. And I mm-hmm. think that that feedback loop can be counterproductive at a time where people are just redoing how their office flows to begin with. There's obviously a broader trend which going on here right which is the war for talent yes even pre-pandemic it was hard to hire especially in in tech and in certain industries and that was problem was not getting any better and then the pandemic certainly made that a lot worse and so as a result people have to compete on a, a, a bunch of different levels with physical space being one of them and and not just like having a physical space but obviously what is it like what is it meant to do can it fit with the working needs of that team and that individual? And so companies will need to respond to that or they're just not going to be able to hire the right people or people will self-select out. They're going to tap out here and say, you know what? This setup has is better for me. Um, it supports my ways of working and preferences. And that's where I'm going to opt into. And there's just a lot more leverage that employees have now. For folks who have listened to some of the other episodes so far, they'll know that we are big fans of activity-based work, and that strongly lines up to the how does the office support different types of work? How do you design your office to actually be the best place to do maybe small team group work, Mm -hmm. calls, customer on-sites, things like that, as opposed to just having to hire one desk for every person you hire, which is a old school, as it turns out, way of thinking nowadays, because gosh, you could use that space for a lot more interesting things, but you know, you kind of need the feedback loop to understand what, what exactly those things are. We recently did a piece on how the office campus of the future is going to look a lot like the university of today, where you have different spaces for different needs, right? And if, again, kind of like back to the DC University, professors didn't care where you did your work. They just cared that there's a deadline, right, to, that you had to go and do it. And oftentimes it was might have been group work, right? So you had to figure out where to get together with your group. And it might be in the lab if it, 
if that's what it called for, it might be in the library, it might be in the cafe, but you opted in, you had agency and you figured out what spaces to opt into or not based on what needed to be done. And by the way, there were also rituals you know, where people came together as a group, as a community, right? Could be sporting events, could be lectures, could be other types of, of you know, like commencements and things, right? And you had spaces to foster that. And, and I think that's where, that's a lot of what some of the you know, most forward thinking companies are thinking about is a variety of spaces to foster different types of work and collaboration. So in the typical office environment that you would see with uh, the folks that you work with, have they started to explore what an office that is more than just conference rooms and desk space looks like? Or you know, are we really just seeing the beginning of this shift from yeah. that sort of two ways of working to many? It's it's sort of that that classic line of like the future is here. It's just unevenly distributed. So you have Love some that. you have some companies that are you know and tends to be the tech companies both have the budget and the freedom to kind of really explore in all these different ways of doing it. And so we have customers on that end of the spectrum that are really trying to push the bounds of what the office can mean, and it's almost like first principles in the office. And then there's others that are a lot. They're just in a different part of the journey, right? And and just trying to make some changes on having some flexibility beyond the one desk per person kind of factory mode of, of doing things before. Most of the time, I think when people hear like sensors and all of that, you know, in, in the office, it, it tends to align with a facilities department. But is that really what you've seen or are you seeing more engagement from a wider type of uh, persona? Certainly historically, there's been, there's just been a lot more experience with facilities and that function. Um, we're seeing a lot also on the workplace uh, teams and, and people that are really responsible for the kind of thinking about the experience and the productivity and how they can foster that. And a lot of that then, to your earlier point, impacts the people ops and HR functions, right? Where it's now that becomes a lot part of their realm. We've seen less of that, I would say, in terms of engagement from those functions. But it is something where changes in the office impact culture, right? It's all holistic. If you're repositioning the office in a certain way, then people ops should be involved, right? And at the end of the day, it's no exaggeration to say, like, if it's about employee productivity and retention and hiring, that is a CEO type of consideration today, right? Talent, it's not capital, it's talent that is the, that's in scarce supply right now. So your culture and any actions you take to improve that culture, to improve your recruiting and, and improve your retention rates should, be, should have CEO or C-level visibility. There's now this moment where before the office and everything around it might have been seen as more of a in finance and admin or sort of a cost center, right? Mm -hmm. I think there's a real, real opportunity to actually say, no, this is actually how the office and by the way, the hybrid environments we're creating 
are actually fostering creativity and culture and collaboration, which is really what's going to move the needle on growth for this company. A lot of the folks that we're working with, they get most excited when they realize it's less about shrinking the footprint of the office that they have today and more about increasing the longevity and the reach of the one that they have today. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, they're probably going to be able to hire people who live slightly further away and they'll be able to coordinate all of that a lot better if they have a good way of communicating what's happening in the office on a day-to-day basis. And that's one part, sensor data. Yeah. But another part, like as you touched on, it's a, it's kind of like a culture and people thing that they have to establish early. Like, hey, we view the office as a tool and a, a service really instead of a place to just track attendance. One person put it to me and it stuck with me, which is like he views... He, he's a he's a head of real estate at a large public company. They've got 600 addresses, mm-hmm. and their perspective is we're in the hospitality business, and that has stuck with me. And that that just really resonates, which is we have to figure out ways for people to want to come in, to want to spend time. And that's just the that's what hospitality does, right? The hotel lobby, the different spaces in those areas, and how they make you feel, down to the sounds, the scents that you have there. And a lot of these offices, that's, I think people with that mindset will, uh, will really thrive. I think some of the most successful people navigating this change identify that they have to do a little bit of the work to make sure that the office has, well, to put a startup hat on like product market fit again, yeah. you, and you certainly, you can get engagement with your office by mandating that people come in, but that's really not solving the core issue of like, how do we make sure the office continues being valuable to the audience and people it serves our employees? Again, to your point earlier, I couldn't agree more. The office is a product. Nothing is a given, right? So think, okay, how, how do you improve your product? How do you measure how it's doing? What's the purpose of it? The value proposition, teams that think like that, the results will show. What has you excited about the next couple of years? There's going to be more change in the next five years than there was in the last 30. There are not many moments in one's career where you kind of go through that transition shift. And so buckle up, right? It's, it's, it's exciting. It's, it's, you know, it means a different mindset of experimentation and being open to change and adapting. And those that adopt that will succeed. They'll thrive. They'll do well. And I think that the, especially given some of the secular trends in terms of labor and, and, and supply constraints and everything else, the, it'll be more challenging if there's a mindset of, we can't wait to get back to 2019 and how it was back then. You can learn more about Rags, Butler, and the good work that they're doing in the show notes. If you want to learn more about the work I'm doing, go to robinpower.com. I'm Zach Dunn. See you on the next episode of In the Works.